Welcome back to Esthetician on the Edge, the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to episode two, and thank you for all the great feedback on the first episode. Honestly, I am still amazed that anyone listened to me ramble on and on about what an idiot I can be. But I guess there is some entertainment value in my dumbness, huh? At the end of episode one, I think I told you guys that we'd be doing an entire show of skincare myths. And I did. But when I listened back to it, it was so much like sitting in a theory classroom. I just couldn't make you all listen to it. What I'm going to do instead is go over a myth or two and you know, kind of then pepper some other stuff in. Trust me, you'd have nodded off in your car if I would have made you listen to that boring, dull theory class that I recorded earlier. But I do want to preface the episode with a disclaimer. I am not an expert. I have a fucking meme account. I'm not an expert on skincare, okay? I am not a scientist, nor am I a cosmetic chemist. My brain is not wired that way. I don't do math. I do skin. Anything I say in reference to a scientific fact has been researched. And I promise you, I will put everything in the show notes. But I use pretty reputable websites, things like .gov. I use lots of universities and different colleges, lots of legitimate research papers. So I promise I will put all of those resources in the show notes if you want to uh, send them a, a bitchy, threatening note about their shit research, you can do so. You'll have the information to do that. All right, on to myth number one. Oh my God, I argue about the validity of this myth with my family, with my friends. Hell, I argue about this with my clients. Myth number one, a fan favorite. Drinking six to eight glasses of water a day equals healthy skin. I know some of you are already shouting at the radio that this is not a myth, that this is just a fucking statement of fact, and that I'm stupid for even doubting the wonders that are that amazing, clear, tasteless liquid. But you're wrong. Science has proved time and time again that there really is absolutely no basis in fact for this myth. Peer-reviewed science, guys, done by third parties, not done by water companies, not done by anyone with a stake in the water game. So where did this myth originate? It actually came from a paper published, or rather guidelines published back in 1945 by the U.S. Food and Nutrition Board. And it simply stated that to maintain health, we should consume 2.5 liters of water daily. But for some strange reason, the sentence directly under it, the one that stated, quote, most of this quantity is contained in daily food consumption, was, for whatever reason, ignored by most people. Are you guys ready to be horrified by me? By me, the esthetician, the worker of skins? I am lucky if I consume 10 ounces of water in a single day. Yeah, that's right. I am not drinking my water. And you know what? I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that because I get plenty of water. Trust me. I eat lots of fruits, I eat lots of vegetables, I do consume other liquids, 
things like juices. And gosh, I do drink water. And I know I'm going to get shit about this. I'm probably going to have like a 100 of you in my DMs or in my email telling me that I need to drink more water, that like my innards are going to dry up and fall out my vagina. And you know what? I'm perfectly fine with that. You know why? Because you're wrong. I am hydrated, damn it. Damn it. Yeah, I don't worry about my hydration, but there are, like, I work with women who, seriously, they worry about their hydration. They seriously, seriously worry about being hydrated. I mean, these women drink so much water. They, they've they actually made water their damn job. They've got, like, these crazy inspirational gallon jugs with quotes on them that say shit like, You glow, girl. Healthy skin ahead. Building a stronger body? Uh, no. You're just wearing out your poor kidneys. So if it's not true, why, why, why does this myth persist? It all comes down to the money. It's all about marketing. Why do you buy the stuff that you buy? Marketing. It sucks us in. Companies that sell bottled water continuously sponsor and promote misleading research. Let me give you an example. One study conducted in Los Angeles and New York City concluded that almost two-thirds of children were not getting enough water. Guess who funded the study, guys? Nestle Waters. What? Why in the world would they fund studies on water? But the definition that old Nestle used for dehydration is a value that has been found to be normal in healthy children for many years all over the world. In every nutrition, wellness, and medical circle. Gosh, guys, I wonder why Nestle skewed those numbers. Hmm. So let's bring this back around to skincare. How many times have you told a client, you are super dehydrated, you are dry? And she's fired back with, what? How can that be? I drink water constantly. Are you sure? I hear this all the time. True story. I even had a client who used her Apple Watch, you know, like the the little alarm thing that you can set on your Apple Watch. Well, she set it to chime when she needed to drink water. And honestly, I don't know the parameters she was using to set this, but I would have to pause in her service for her to sit up and chug. I shit you not. She chugged 16 ounces of water like a frat boy, and then she'd lie back down. Yeah, we did this like three times in an hour and a half service. I don't know why. I I attract strange and odd people. Here's some more facts for you. Even as late as 2019, the National Center for Biotechnology Information released findings from a study that concluded, quote, increased water intake revealed no relevant changes to trans epidermal water loss, nor did it have an effect on the epidermal barrier, end quote. So what I'm getting at here, guys, is if you are drinking water to change your skin, If you're telling your clients to drink water to change their skin, it is not going to work. That's not how it works. You know that your skin is the last organ of the body to receive nutrients through ingestion. There's just too much shit going on internally that needs all that liquid goodness. Your skin is just left hanging. It's just out there, just like you guys called it, just like a raisin out there hanging high and dry, no water getting to it. Because who knows, your fucking heart or something needed it. Well, that's where you come to the rescue. You and me, ladies and gentlemen. 
with those wonderful water-based serums and moisturizers to keep your skin bouncing and behaving. But you know what? If you love water, and my God, some of you love water. I don't know why. It doesn't taste like anything. But if you do, go ahead, keep drinking it. It's not going to kill you. Well, okay, honestly, it has killed 14 people. That's neither here nor there. If you love water and you're healthy, wait, okay, so the 14 people it killed were perfectly healthy. If you don't mind making like 20 trips to the bathroom, I mean, if you really like looking at the back of a bathroom stall that much, keep drinking it. It's fine. In closing, if you're thirsty, drink. If you're not, don't. Normal everyday food and beverage consumption will generally keep your body adequately hydrated. All right, moving on to myth number two. I am sure that you guys have dealt with this one. I This is probably one of my best-selling add-ons, or it's even probably my best standalone because it's such a quick little service that, that yields such wonderful visible results. So I'm sure you've dealt with this one. Myth number two. Dermaplaning the skin will make vellus hair grow back thicker and darker. So like I said, if you offer this service at your place, you've been asked about this at least once. Or you've had a client just flat out refuse the service because of this irrational fear. Now we all know, unless you are reaching inside this person's skin, tunneling down to that upper reticular dermis and tinkering around with some hormones, vellus hair is gonna be vellus hair even when it grows back after dermaplaning. In all my years of waxing and dermaplaning, I have never had a client's vellus hair shift into terminal hair. And I've waxed a lot of people. I mean, I have waxed a lot of people really badly too. So if it was going to happen to anyone, it should have happened to one of my poor clients. I was such a terrible waxer when I first started. I mean, I'm, I'm okay now. I ain't the best. But oh my God, I almost killed people back then. If I'm being completely honest, though, I do have to tell you some of the ladies that I have come in, uh, those who are entering like a perimenopause or menopause, they do start to get more terminal hairs where once they had vellus hair. But that ain't got nothing to do with dermaplaning or waxing. It's called your body completely fucking you over after you've spent years and years of doing your very best to take care of it. Yay, womanhood. Let's break it down to what is actually happening. I mean, I know you guys know the process. Duh, you do it. But let's talk about why the myth, like what is happening and why people believe the myth. We can all agree that hair comes in and hair falls out and we don't notice any of it, right? The vellus hair on your face sheds just as much as the hair on your head sheds. But does it all shed at once? Uh, no. You'd notice if you woke up bald-headed every four weeks. So when we dermaplane a client, we are essentially removing all visible hair when we exfoliate that top layer of skin off with our blade. Your client sees healthy, glowing, fabulous skin. Then in a few days' time or maybe a week... They start to see and feel, you know, some of those prickly hairs that are making their way back in. They become a little self-conscious because prickly hairs are more noticeable than those little sweet baby fine vellus hairs. And then they're going to do several different things. They are going to spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. They're going to panic, call wanting their money back. Or they're going to panic and call and want to know if it's normal. 
or they're not going to give a shit and just go on with their life. It looks thicker simply because anything, you guys know this, anything cut at an angle on the surface of the skin, which is what we're doing when we use the blade, you blunt the end. That blunted end is going to give the illusion of being a bit thicker. It is not. It is just how the light or the light isn't reflecting on the hair. That's it. It also looks darker because, well, let's be honest, it is. But not, but not, hold on, but not because it's a medical miracle brought on by dermaplanin. It's darker because it hasn't been exposed to sunlight and bleached out. So what your client is seeing is their actual natural color of the hair that grows in. Yeah, makes sense. Me taking a surgical blade across their face is not going to change the underlying hair structure. It's impossible. It will make you look fabulous, but that's not what we're talking about here. When I have a new dermaplaning client, I, I do have I do the same. Basically, I give them the same spiel I just gave you so that they are prepared to deal with the growback. All right, if you're a client and you're listening to this, so not an esthetician, but a client, and I know you're out there lurking because you've been DMing me, you've been messaging me, it does not grow back thicker or darker. That's bullshit. Your hair will still be exactly the same. Let us dermaplane your skin. You will not regret it. All right, I think that's enough myths. If you are just jonesing to get me to talk about one, you know what? Send me an email. I I do have plans to do more, and I'll give you the email at the end of the show, but I'll figure out how to work your myth in somehow. Now, if I don't feel like I'm qualified to cover your myth or shit, if I believe the myth, then I'll send you a message saying that I'm just as stupid as the people that you're making fun of because I still believe that myth. All right. Next up, let, let's talk about St. Ives Apricot Scrub. I know it's a favorite of Estes everywhere. Okay, I'm kidding. I know you guys don't like it. I don't like it either. You you probably heard that a woman, no wait, two women. Is it two? It's a class action. Does class action mean more than two? No, I think it's two. Okay, two women filed a class action lawsuit against the makers of St. Ives. Do you know who the makers are? Do you remember? Do you remember? Good old Unilever, home to, I think, lately, Dermalogica. Ooh, they also have Noxzema. Do you guys remember Noxzema when you were a kid? Oh, my God. That stuff burned so good. And it was so fucking greasy. Uh, They also have, in their little wheelhouse, Simple. I think it's that brand you can buy at, like, Target or Walmart. Uh, Ooh, they have Tatcha Beauty, too. I forgot about that one. That is an expensive brand. I bet you didn't know they have that one. And then they have, oh, what's the other thing they've got? I always make fun of it. It's the body. It's the body products. Oh, my God. They have the most stupid commercials. Men love them. They stink so bad. Help me remember. Help me remember. Axe. Axe body products. They they own those two. So that's it. That's a few of them that they have along with St. Ives. So these women filed a lawsuit because of damage caused by the apricot scratchy scratchy scrub and the lawsuit was titled browning versus unilever and it was dismissed in early 2018 and honestly it should have been 
Really, it should have been. But it was dismissed based on lack of evidence of any harm caused specifically by the use of the scrub. Now, I am not a fan of apricot scrub, but I looked at the lawsuit and it was very laughable. How they ever talked an attorney into taking this is beyond me. Like, they had so little evidence to back up their claims. Like, literally the only scientific evidence they had, and I'm doing air quotes. Why am I doing air quotes? You all can't see through this microphone. I'm a hand talker. Don't judge me. The only scientific evidence they had was a study that they had commissioned to prove their point. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but I don't I don't think that's how you do that. I, I, I don't. I really don't think that you can you can hire a scientist and say, this is what we need you to prove. Prove it. But I could be wrong. But anyway, the case was thrown out. And now apricot scrub is safe and sound on a retail shelf, even as I speak. Picture it. Clients are right now pressing that gritty substance into their skin and scrubbing, scrubbing like they're trying to remove paint from old furniture. I'm not a fan of this mess. And I do counsel clients not to use it, although they love it. But from a scientific standpoint, ah, science. A true study, one that was done by uninterested third parties. So not the scrub people. The scrubs are not killing your client's skin. Studies found that although larger particles could be sensitizing to some people's skin, it didn't affect people across the board. In other words, same advice you give people for everything. If you've got rosacea, if, if you have reactive skin or you have sensitive skin, stay away from scrubs because they are going to fuck you up. But if you've got normal average skin that takes a licking and keeps on ticking, any sort of scrub, you can use any of them and not expect to have any damage, really. Yeah. That sucks, right? Now that I've ruined your day by telling you we will never escape the monster that is St. Ives Scrub, let's get into some questions. For this, I really want to use your guys' handles, your um, your IG handles, your Instagram names. Anytime that I mention something that you have asked or anything that you've sent or any kind of resources, but honestly, I am terrified that I will get you guys in trouble. I don't know that your account is private or personal or professional and I, literally it this is the reason I'm not mentioning your name the person who sent me this question I am gonna try to contact everyone from this point on and ask if I can use you know your handle when you send me stuff that way you can get credit and a little shout out but, but for now I think it's okay it's only like episode two there's probably like four people listening at this point and one of them, honestly, is my mom, and she's still pissed about the water myth. Okay, first question. Gosh, I really want to say who sent me this, because this is a good question. What is something that pisses you off about skincare on Instagram? That is a loaded question, my friend. Huh. All right, well, one of the biggest is estheticians offering skincare advice via DMs or even in the comment section. You all... You have to do a complete consultation before you can offer any kind of advice. A lot of my non-ST friends that follow 
my account have reached out and asked what they should do about certain skincare problems. And y'all, I will not give them advice. I, I will do the most general advice. Like something, uh, the best I'll do is tell that person to make sure that they are following a routine. And if the problem persists, that they need to go see an area esthetician. Which reminds me, I really need to figure out where some of you guys are located so I can start sending people your way. Because I don't think anyone's near me. But without laying hands on someone, without touching that skin, without knowing that lifestyle, without knowing their health, their medications, how can you tell someone what to use? How? You are so bold if you were doing that. You are a fucking field expert if you were doing that and you don't get paid enough because you can't do it, period. I have clients who complain about texture all the time. It is a conversation all the time. But when I put my hands on them, I feel zero texture. They have like maybe a pimple or two and that's it. Nothing. No texture. But everyone always blows their skin problems out of proportion. How many times have you had a client tell you, oh my gosh, the blackheads on my nose are out of control. But then you get them in the room under that light and they have like no pores at all. They're completely invisible. And blackheads, what? They don't have a single blackhead. They have like a few sebaceous filaments here and there. And here I go and block out extra time to take care of all these blackheads. So what is a what does a lay person in the field of aesthetics know how do, how do they know how to describe their skin via Instagram? They don't. So everyone just needs to stop giving advice, like very specific advice to people like that. You really do. Like send them somewhere. Find out where they live and then make a friend in that city and send them to an esthetician. Be responsible. Okay, another pet peeve of mine. Oh, this one's, it is this weird hate that some estheticians have for dermatologists. My God, I cringe whenever I see comments that compare the two fields. So I'm very confident in my abilities in a facial room. I am confident when I do a peel. I am confident when I do a microderm, a microneedle, a dermaplane, hydrofacial, oxygen facial. Y'all, I can recommend product like nobody's business. I know medications and when not to do a service based on medications. But you know what? Do you know what I'm not? I am not a fucking doctor. Dermatologists go through an ass ton of school. They do specialized training to do what they do. I refer my clients to derms all the time. And you should be doing the same. We cannot diagnose and we cannot treat diseases or serious skin conditions. My insurance don't cover that. What kind of insurance do you guys have that cover you not being a doctor with zero medical training, diagnosing people. Like, stop it. In all fairness, are there shit derms out there? Yeah, there are. Just like there are shit estheticians out there. Do some of those derms look down their nose at us? Yeah, but I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I don't care. But I do wish as a whole the industry would stop saying we, and by we I mean aesthetics, can do whatever a derm can do. We can't. End of story. There is no argument there. We are not medical professionals. Okay, something else. I feel like I could go on this subject for a while. Something else though, and you guys are probably not going to be on board for this one, and I'm going to get shit about it, but oh well. I dislike when estheticians bash over-the-counter brands. 
Our professional product lines, they are not the end-all, be-all of skincare. Some of the professional lines that I have been forced to use, oh my gosh, I wouldn't use it to wash my dog. Being professional doesn't guarantee that it's a great product or even a good product. There are lots of OTC brands out there that I enjoy just as much as I enjoy my professional stuff. Honestly, it's a mixed bag. I have professional and over-the-counter stuff that I use on the daily. You limit yourself and your client by discounting an entire share of the market simply because a client can't purchase the product from you. It's fine if you don't get that sale occasionally. I mean, come on. You've fallen for your own hype if you're dogging perfectly good products that are more than likely formulated right alongside your professional stuff. Remember, there are lots of parent companies out there. Remember we talked about Unilever earlier? Well, fuck, Estee Lauder. Yeah, they've got good ones. Um, L'Oreal. I mean, come on. SkinCeuticals is owned by one of these massive parent companies. And that massive parent company owns lots of other little basic brands besides this prestige brand. I mean, there is a finite amount of ways that you can formulate a cleanser or a moisturizer. Hell, there hasn't been, gosh, there hasn't been advances in product ingredients in like 50 years. This is why brands continue to roll out different names for shit like vitamin C and hyaluronic acid. And why do you think brands are turning to natural and organic now? Because they don't have anything new to offer. So they're doing a little bit of a bait and switch. Really, the only thing that has progressed in the last few years has been a more efficient delivery system. All right, I'm a little over time. Apparently, that question was a trigger for me. Uh, sorry, I didn't get to any more of them. And I actually didn't finish that question. I have so many things that piss me off about skincare on Instagram. But we'll get into that later if you want to hear about it. I want to thank all of you for following me on Instagram. You have no idea how fun the memes are. It is my therapy. I know I tell some of you that, but honest to goodness, if I did not do these memes, I would probably need a therapist or at the very least a different job. Thank you for commenting and reaching out through stories and messages. And thank you for telling all of your friends and your coworkers and your classmates. I love it. Love, love, love it. And last but not least, thank you for listening to episode two. I am hoping to nail down a format sooner rather than later. Ideally, I'd love to release an episode every week, but life, guys, life will not let me do it. Busy, busy. I am hoping to stick to one every other week. If all goes well, we'll see. If you guys like it, you know, if you subscribe and I see that there's some interest, then I'll try to stick with that. You know, if you don't like it and I see that people aren't subscribing and you don't give a shit, I might just throw out one every once in a while just so I can rant. If you'd like to comment about any of the episodes that you've listened to, if you have a question, email me at estheticionontheedge at yahoo.com or you can message me on the old IG. I will warn you, I get a ton of messages on IG and I miss them. I miss a lot of them, I'm sure. Uh, if what happens is if I respond to someone and they respond immediately back, you know, it kind of knocks the other ones down the list. And sometimes I do not find all of them. It would probably be better if you actually emailed me. All right, I'm out. Peace. Have a great Pam Free Week and I will see you next show. Bye.